Hi, everybody. My name is Sana Ahmed. I'm the founder of the Product Marketing Institute. And every week I bring on a guest uh, who is a thought leader in the space of product marketing to share their perspective of how they're driving innovation via product marketing at uh, their company. And this week I have Jenny Gomez, um, who is doing product marketing at TiVo currently. I'd love to pass it over to you, Jenny, and have you give an introduction on yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm actually going to look for um, a photo and I apologize, guys, that I am not on camera. Um, I have a new COVID-19 rule, which is Friday is self-care. No, no, no on camera meetings. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little bit of a, you know, we get a little bit of the quarantine fatigue. So I'm going to try to find a bio picture here. So at least you have a general idea of, of what I look like. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, um, let me let me do this. This worked. Let me see. Yep, there I am. Um, <laughs> there's my glamour shot. Um, Hi, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Jenny Gomez. Um, I'm product marketing director at TiVo. I have been at TiVo for three years. Um, we are actually in the midst of a merge right now, so we are going to soon be, as soon as Monday, uh, it be at the Experience Corporation. Um, so it's, we're excited to sort of start a new journey with TiVo. Um, and I can talk to you a little bit later about why that's important. But I, I you know, started my career many, many years ago um, as a, actually a theater performer and a, and a playwright. Um, so for, for a decade, I did that. I lived in New York City and studied in the UK. Um, did stand-up comedy, was a storyteller. And I, that's relevant for that fact is because it's relevant because um, I think product marketers and marketers as a whole, great product marketers and great marketers, should be really strong storytellers. And I think that's where we make the impact, right? We're always thinking and talking about our audiences and our personas. So it's important to think about it as, as our audience, right? So I started my career, you know, telling stories in front of an audience and that hasn't really changed as I've become a marketer. But, um, you know, 10 years into my career, I, I did a switch because I was doing social media marketing for a lot of the theater companies I was working for. And I really fell in love with, with storytelling in that avenue. And so I pivoted my career to being a full-time social media strategist. And that led me into the advertising technology ecosystem, where I worked primarily in digital first. And now for the past five, six-ish years, I've been working in TV. Um, and it's been really exciting to sort of see the convergence um, in advertising and in technology overall, um, from digital to television and, and the convergence of the two. As we also have started streaming, as we're all sitting at home watching Netflix and Hulu and, and you know, on our smart TVs, using all of our different devices, um, it's really exciting to sort of see all the methodologies that digital technology has imprinted upon the television ecosystem. So I've been really lucky in my career to have been involved in a lot of exciting transitions. Um, and I think, um, you know, it's helped me grow as a marketer to be flexible. Um, and, and, and I've learned a lot about all different kinds of products um, in, in the meantime. And that's been you know, very exciting and, and a really, really fun challenge to dig into. That's fantastic. Um, I just want to repeat back for the audience a little bit because your voice was getting a little bit cut off. Um, uh, I love your background. It was just making me smile um, because you talk about going from uh, like performing arts and having a, a theater background into getting into marketing and advertising. And you mentioned something like uh, storytelling, whereas as a creative person, you're constantly um, thinking about audiences and how to present your work to them in, in performing arts. And it's not that much different when you're in, um, in the space, right, with uh, product marketing, because it's, 
it is still about who are the characters in the story uh, or in, in, in marketing terms, who's the audience segment, if not singular or plural, and how are you putting a performance together for them? And if we replace that word with marketing campaigns and marketing strategies and overall product marketing go-to-market efforts, I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of parallels between the two, right? Um, that's, that's pretty powerful. Um, I, I might dig in, dig in there a little bit um, throughout this interview and just ask your perspectives on the performing arts and tips that uh, uh, people that are in the technology leadership space can sort of take on to be able to take on personas and, and uh, be able to better empathize with customers as well. I think that's, that's really, really great. Yeah, I think empathy is the big word there, Sana. So thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's like jump into it because what I want to do is ask you what your uh, definition of product marketing is. And, you know, uh, we'll dive a little bit deeper after that in terms of how you've been applying it into some of your, your product marketing projects. Yeah, sure. Um, and let me know if my sound keeps cutting out. Feel free to verbalize it um, if you'd like. We're great right now. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Um, so at a very high level, I look at, I think a great product marketer needs to be the bridge between a product team and a sales team. Um, they need to be able to speak two different kinds of languages, and that's a product language and a sales language, or a go-to-market language, if you want to look at it like that. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge that a great product marketer has, is to be able to empathize, not just with um, the audiences that they're trying to tell the stories to, but their internal stakeholders as well. And I think what gets really challenging really is product people speak very different languages than salespeople. Salespeople want things uh, very distilled, very plain language. They want their go-to-market materials to be succinct. And oftentimes the customers respond, um, well, it depends, right? Some salespeople are selling to product people and you need to teach those salespeople to sell to product people by using great sort of go-to-market materials and language. And sometimes your salespeople are selling to other salespeople or people that might not understand the technical quite as much. Um, so understanding your internal stakeholders and being that bridge between your product and sales teams is vital. I think that's the beginning of your product marketing foundation. From there, obviously, there's a bunch of tools in your toolkit, right? Competitive analysis, market research. If you're in charge of pricing, you have to do, you know, you have to be a little bit of a, of a data scientist yourself to really look at, at that sort of product um, product pricing, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like modeling, for instance. Um, you have to be a little creative if you're creating some sales materials or at least art directing some sales materials with your creative teams or your graphic designers. You definitely have to be a storyteller like any great marketer should be. Um, and then sometimes, depending on your organization, you should be flexible enough to be able to identify things like what kind of PR is gonna help me tell my market story? Are there trades that I should really be targeting? What kind of events should my sales team be at where we can really present our products to the full effect? Um, product marketers really have to be flexible. And I think it's, it's a fairly new function when you're talking about marketing overall. Um, and it means something very different in very different organizations um, and very different pieces of the technology sector. What you're doing as a product marketer for let's say a grocery store um, or a grocery company or a CPG company might be very different than what you're doing as a product marketer for Microsoft, say, or for Amazon. And even if you work for Amazon, you could be a product marketer and, you, you know, your purview might be one thing, but you have several hundred product marketers in the organization doing all kinds of different product marketing. So um, 
So it's a very flexible function. And I think, and that's what makes it exciting and that's what makes it challenging. Um, and I think that, I think flexibility is key there too. So product marketers have to be pretty smart. Uh, you know, people that can really decipher a lot of different things um, and be able to speak in a lot of different languages. So it, it's a, uh, I think product marketers should be quite proud of what they do. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I love your whole entire explanation because you kind of gave an end-to-end -end perspective on all of it. And I love your differentiator between product marketing at um, different companies. So like tech versus like maybe a CPG, that's probably the perfect um, polarized example, right? Where uh, the challenge of what I love and try to push myself to do on the technology side is that you just don't have, you know, the luxury of like being a CPG company where it's like you plan for 12 months out of the year and you're putting all these bits and pieces together um, from putting like content calendars, media planning, all of that. It just does not happen in tech that way because you're working against a product development cycle, which is like a one to two week cycle. Um, and you have to sort of come up with what the strategies and the plans will be for each of those features or enhancements that are going on overall. And so that's just a completely different mindset with a different set of skills. And when you mention things like you have to be completely flexible and then also acknowledge and be proud of yourself for all the things you're doing, it's a lot, right? That's happening in such a small amount of time. And, uh, uh, you it's it's kind of abandoning like these old traditional ways of working and then just being like I acknowledge I'm going to be at the tip of my toes and the, at the edge of my seat because there's so many changes that are going to happen like something that I was working on yesterday with the product may completely get updated like in the next sprint in the next like week or two so like I sure. may have to adjust like my messaging or positioning and I'm just curious like have you sort of run into things like that you are at TiVo right now you've worked in um in a lot of different uh technology ad tech uh, companies in the past as well and you've also done consulting i i love your versatile background like when you run up against like time having a lot of the insight that you do how do you make your adjustments right on the fly yeah it's it's a dance you know I, i'm i'm not gonna i'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say that there's a perfect way to do it right i think it depends on your internal organization it depends on your leadership um, it depends on your own personal way of balancing things managing expectations um, what your team looks like what kind of support and resources you have i mean it is all very variable i agree with you i have certainly come across things where you know an executive will make a decision against a product sprint and the product teams have to adjust and make a lot of changes therefore you have to adjust and make a lot of changes um i've worked in organizations where salespeople drive more of the product decisions um and that that has its own set of challenges right um and and then you you know you definitely are going to come across things where customer feedback is very important and it is of course very important because you're building products that that need to have a market. So you wanna get that feedback from your customers and sometimes that customer feedback forces the product decisions as well and the sales decisions, frankly. Um, so there's a lot of variables at play when you're a product marketer because you have so much responsibility to, two, to, two, to teams that are so different. If you worked in a much more sort of formal marketing function, like let's say you were an event planner, um, marketers in general have to sort of live on their toes and at the edge of your, their seat, like you said, Sana. Um, that's kind of the nature of what we do. I think you have to be somebody that thrives on change and excitement. 
to be a marketer as well. Um, and there's a lot of people that might not have the stomach for it, but, but it is always exciting. Um, and that, and some, and I personally thrive on that. And I think that's what makes me a good marketer is that I like the, being flexible. I like being agile. Agile is a word that always gets sort of bandied about when you're a product marketer or a marketer in tech at all. Um, so I think, you know, the important thing to go back to your question, and I'm always going to speak a little in circles here. Um, the important thing to go back to you is, is have your own personal set of skills. Um, have your own personal like expectations that you know you can always hit. And let's say you have a personal workflow, manage your time and, and organize yourself well. And I think that's where you're always going to succeed. So that you know, you have to always know that there's going to be quick changes that need to be made. What are you willing to do? What do you know you can do well? And how are you going to organize your time to execute? So, you know, I keep a lot of spreadsheets and, and Google documents where I track my tasks and, and time management is actually, I, I invest a lot in my time management because it actually ends up giving me a lot of my time back. Um, so it's those sort of personal um, routines, really, that that really help me succeed. I love that. I love your energy too. You're you're definitely a force uh, to be reckoned with, and <laughs> someone definitely that I would want to work with if I were back in in inside on the inside, like working with other product marketers. You make oh. such great points, uh, and it's spoken like a, a leader too, right? There's a lot of mentoring, like. Uh, tips that you have in there, which is like, how do you self-manage? How do you lead um, yourself first before you tackle on um, being able to, you're a cross-departmental leader in, in essence when you're a product marketer. Um, and you have so many stakeholders all the way from the people that are in the trenches, to individual contributors, submit managers, all the way up to the C-suite, because I always say that this is one role where you don't hide behind your uh, your desk, your, you will literally at times be in front of like the CEO, the CMO, the chief revenue officer. There's like a, a lot of decisions that you are helping to influence, even if you may not be directly driving it. And I think having a strong sense of self and confidence in what you do and uh, being able to trust yourself that you can deliver the things you need to do. And then it's like, all these sort of variables, right? That we talked about, which get thrown into the picture. It's like, uh, how do you make it all feel like it's not a curveball being thrown at you, but it's like, I want to hit that ball and that ball and that ball and just kind of keep going <laughs> and knowing that each play is not going to be the same exact one. So I love that. I think maybe you probably have a lot more of a spirit in it because of your performing arts background. And uh, <laughs> that's definitely inspiration I'm going to take away from myself as well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and I uh, hope you do. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we do a hard job. So it's important <laughs> to uh, self-promote self and self-congratulate a little bit, right? A little bit self-care I was talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I want to mention something really quickly. And in, in looking at both of our backgrounds, like we were talking a little bit about our work histories. And you and I overlapped at a company Literally, maybe by like a few days, we might have missed each other. Um, but when I, I had the opportunity when I was working at Ignition One, and it was working both at Ignition One at NetMining, and you were on the NetMining side, um, this wonderful lady that I had uh, met, Laura Daniels, I'm not sure if you know her. She was there at the company for a very long time. Uh, she was in performing arts and um, off-Broadway off a performer. Uh, and she one day took me to a... Uh, improv like uh, session. She's like, you know, you, you can come. This might be really fun. And it, what was funny enough for me was that 
I had just, I was in like suited up in my nice summer suit. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I had just come from a uh, product marketing interview. And so, you know, in improv, it's just so much fun because you're, you're not allowed to say no and you're open and you're taking inspiration from, you know, things that just happened to you. And I ended up taking the role of uh, a person that was, uh, I think, in being interviewed, I ended up taking the product marketing role and it was just really funny because like the bold, the boldness came out of me where I was just like, uh, the, it was something about like two people being interviewed and it was like, one was a general marketer versus me being the, the product marketer. And they're like, well, I don't know if I should hire you because marketing is generally very fluff and BS -y. Uh, and I laughed and this was part of the whole improv. And I said, you know what, who are you talking about with BS? Like you have no idea. Product marketer has to know their stuff in and out. Um, I'm doing all the research and the competitive analysis and I already know, um, you know, uh, how to empower all the people on the inside and outside of the company already. And it was just, it came out very bold. It was fun. We all like laughed and giggled afterwards. But, you know, when you think about performing arts and you think about taking on a role and you think about product marketing, which is a role, in which, uh, I don't know if the right word is chameleon, because that can sort of have a negative connotation, but let's say it, adapting your role, right? Um, you're dealing with so many different cross team members, and it's knowing how to adjust your tone to each of those team members and speaking their language very, very quickly in real time, letting them know what it is they're looking for. And then um, it's like off to your next performance, right? Like what is now the next audience that I'm speaking to and what is the messaging and positioning for them? Um, and doing the same thing literally for each of your audience segments and then constantly for every single person that's coming to you that's inside of the company too. Would you sort of agree with that analogy? <laughs> <laughs> um, 100%. Um, I think it's sort of what I was saying before where a product marketer has to be three things. They have to be a salesperson, they have to be a product person, and they have to be a marketer. Um, not to mention all of the other side jobs, like being a data scientist, being fantastic at Excel, which I am not, to be honest. <laughs> uh, possibly, you know, speaking different code languages, HTML, SQL, um, you know, being technical, but then also being a storyteller, being able to identify an audience, a persona, right? Knowing your customer, knowing the market, um, it, you do wear a lot of hats, a lot of costumes, a lot of characters for sure. Um, and I think that's why a great product marketer, when I, you know, I said at the beginning has to be proud of themselves because it's a challenge for sure. Um, I think a great product marketer has to be able to slip into the skin of all of those stakeholders. And you're right. Sometimes, you know, you do go in front of the C-level and all of a sudden you have to be confident and be proud and be a C-level yourself because you are influencing decisions that are going to make huge business impacts. Um, and definitely affect the bottom line. And so a, a great organization empowers their product marketers to do just that, to be able to have that voice and be that professional because they do recognize how challenging you have to be and how flexible and agile you have to be. So no, I think in improv and saying yes, right? That's a great, that's a great, I recommend every marketer um, takes an improv class sometime in their life because being able to be open and flexible and say yes um, within the confines of your own sort of personal self is, is such an important lesson that you can get out of something like improv. Um, and you're right. I think it applies directly to what we do. I, I, uh, it's just, it's so powerful because I'm like intrigued by your, how I feel like your acting, um, background has like influenced your performing 
performance into marketing because I'm just thinking back at some of my friends that are in performing arts and they say, you know, when you're an actor, uh, you have to be open. You have to be open to what uh, is in the situation, trying to open the, yourself up to the character that you're playing and into the role and like trying to adapt into it. And product marketing is exactly all of that, right? It's, you can quickly, I know early on in my career where I was just like, oh my gosh, like everything is changing constantly. And it was a little frustrating. And I was just like, oh my gosh, how do you succeed? Like, where is the path to success? But now when I kind of go back to that, those very early moments and I think about something like improv, it's like, well, just be open to it and see where this goes. But, but then also bringing on the layer, like you said, of, uh, having the trust in yourself and knowing that you can hyper prioritize and like hyper organize and still be able to navigate in all of that chaos so that you have whatever your top like key performance metrics are and that you're still like focused on being able to deliver that knowing that you can't necessarily control each and every step of the way to get there and that you can't always predict what the outcome um, will be but that you know, you're focused on trying to achieve that. So something will sort of fall or land in the ballpark each and every time. So it's really exciting because you're constantly in the unknown, right? Totally, 100%. And yeah, to, I mean, to hammer the point home for sure, I think a product marketer has to work a little harder on on sort of um, sort of tools, like like tools of, of, of like personal growth, right? It's those, those organization workflows. It's, it's knowing your personal priorities. Um, it's always taking stock of what your daily workload is going to be and organizing yourself and then also making sure that you're always honing the, the skills that you need in your toolbox, right? Um, that's important because you know that no matter what's going to happen around you and because you're so cross-functional, there's going to be so many more variables that you can't predict. So what you can predict and what you can control is how strong your skills are and how, how, how mature your toolkit is and um, how much you're taking care of your own personal KPIs, right? Like you mentioned. Um, so th I think that's something that product marketers should always keep in mind that that's, that personal growth is vital um, in order to sort of manage the chaos in a way that will at least always provide a, a certain measure of success, right? I, I love it. And I, and I would say that that fee feedback and that um, sort of perspective you're giving it doesn't sort of fall just under the, the individual contributors. So if it's people that are early or starting out or mid um, career in product marketing, but also, also all this doesn't stop at the leadership level, right? Everything you're saying, you have to continue to be able to do it. Um, you're just, it, you're doing it at a, at scale, but it's the same principles, right? Taking stock of everything you're doing, hyper-prioritizing, what are your metrics? What are you, moving towards so that you don't lose control of your day and it doesn't feel like it's random, but that there's still some sort of structure and um, uh, sort of progression that's going on towards what those goals end up being. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, yeah. and it's something too, I mean, like, you know, once you do that and once you hone your skills and you become a leader yourself and you're managing a team of product marketers or marketers as a whole, I mean, those are things you can offer up to your team as ways to help them with their personal growth and make them stronger. So it does, you are scaling a skill set for sure. Absolutely. And are you in that position right now? You have such strong leadership perspectives. Are you doing that for other product marketers at your company or you're just holding down the fort and do, managing probably, I would think a whole lot of projects as well at the same time. 
Yeah, so I was in a leadership role at my last company when I was at Comcast. Um, I managed um, one full-time employee and, and several freelancers because um, that was what our resources allowed for, which is a fun challenge um, to sort of find and manage really great, strong freelancers because then you can sort of carry them throughout your career, which I've done and have been lucky to, to do. Uh, currently, I'm an individual contributor, but I manage a whole disparate product set right now. I manage the advertising products at TiVo um, currently, which come with their own really fun set of challenges because the um, speaking an advertising language within a company that's formerly known as a DVR company and is essentially a television software platform company um, is, is really exciting. And so it's a lot of sort of internal thought leadership as much as it is external thought leadership. I love it. I love your attitude. It's just instead of, you know, uh, having a, a mindset other than yours, uh, there might be a person that's in that place it, that might have been in your shoes saying like, oh my gosh, this might be overwhelming. But with your attitude and perspective, it's like, I love these challenges. I'm rolling up my sleeves. Like, I'm going to see what I can make happen. And uh, there's a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of great things you're doing. Uh, I'd love to jump into what maybe an example a product marketing maybe case study or case story with you of the past or present and how you're using some of those these amazing principles that uh, we're talking about into being able to drive innovation for for the company and driving success for them yeah sure um so one thing that comes to mind um is that i uh there was a product marketer that ended up leaving my uh, leaving tivo a couple of years ago and him and his team were in charge of this thing called the trends report. And it had evolved over the years. It, him and his team had come in through an acquisition um, into TiVo. Um, and they were a company that had created sort of personalized content discovery products. And basically personalized, you know, when you're watching TV, you know, when you see recommended for you or shows that you might love or things that are sort of uh, algorithmically directed or targeted to a viewer based on their past viewership that whole sort of product set, that sort of machine learning algorithm um, is, is, can be quite complex. Companies like Netflix are, are known to do it quite well. Um, it involves a lot of different moving parts when you're watching TV and it's a lot, it's very difficult to make seamless. Um, but I think our, the team that does it at our company does it remarkably well. And so they had started essentially an external research report about the importance of discovery. You know, how, how are viewers watching? What's important to them? What kind of search bar do they want to have? Do they want to use their voice when, when they're searching for things on television? What kind of things do they want to be able to ask their television? Uh, what kind of genres are they really interested in at certain times of day? So basically a market analysis, right? Um, and it was all done through survey of current customers and, just, and also just people in the world. So it was also objective rather than subjective just to the, the products. And I took it on once that product marketer left and myself and one of the strategy stakeholders internally at the company um, have been working in and evolving it to be more of an overarching sort of television viewership research, piece of research. And it was a bit of a side project and a bit of a labor of love, to be honest. And now, and, and so what it helped me do, I, was, I am in charge of our TV viewership data product, which falls under advertising at TiVo. And that, that TV data is used by advertisers and marketers to basically optimize their media plans. They can see what viewers watched and what they didn't watch, what kind of commercials they were, that they were uh, exposed to and not exposed to. And my access to that data gave me a, a wide breadth of, of, of knowledge about how people 
in media and entertainment use data overall. And I found out that by being part of the trends report process, that there was a bunch of different people in the company doing a bunch of different things with our, with our data and at different points in the software. So it wasn't just this TV viewership data that we had packaged to go out to the advertising ecosystem. There was a bunch of data analysts and data scientists at our company that were doing remarkable work um, for basically internal product testing and, and internal sort of, um, to build better products, really. And so because of that exposure and because of the exposure of the trends report with everything that just happened with COVID-19, I sort of was working with one of my internal data scientists and he was like, hey, by the way, and this was just because we had a relationship and he knew that I was a marketer and he knew that I was telling these stories um, using PR and, and using sort of collateral and using go-to-market materials. He's like, I'm seeing a lot of really crazy things in our data um, now that we've all gone under lockdown with COVID-19. Is there anything that you think we could do with that, with this, with this information? And it was crazy things like viewership across our platforms had increased 58%. People were watching pandemic titles like, you know, um, outbreak 600 times more than, than they had in the past, right? Just in the first week of lockdown. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to take that data. Absolutely. And we're going to start turning it into a story that we're going to package. So I went to all of those data stakeholders across the company that I had, that I had sort of gotten to know because of this trends report. And I was like, hey, what have you got? What is your, what is your sort of data touch point telling you about what's been going on with COVID? And we were able week over week to gather this sort of really robust set of data points that I was then able to pass on to the PR team. And we've gotten like press in the Wall Street Journal, press in the New York Times, lots of trade press around just those little snippets of data that I had been able to gather because of that relationship from the trends report out into the ecosystem. Um, we've then used it to sort of fold into some executive thought leadership, you know, it, it went into some investor touch points, and it ended up having these legs that certainly I didn't expect when I sort of started the project. And now what we're doing for this round of the trends report, which we've never done in the past, is we're injecting that COVID-19 data, you know, viewership data into our next trends report, which is going to be released at the end of the year. So sometimes, I mean, with, so to me, I don't look at that necessarily as an example of, I mean, maybe it's an example of great product marketing, but I think it's an example of what happens when you are a curious and passionate product marketer is you end up getting to know pieces of your business you didn't expect. And you get up and you end up getting to know and be curious about and learn from others around you because you have all these touch points because you are cross-functional. You can tell stories in a way that you might not have expected you could tell. So that's, that's a recent example because we are living in these unprecedented times and it's been on my mind, so. <laughs> I love it. This is so powerful. I, ju I just love your energy and your passion that you're, you throw into everything you're doing. And there's a few important things you mentioned there, which is like one thing, which is like we're now uh, the, this pandemic and instead of companies feeling like they have to fold or um, survive, but it, there, there's companies with innovative thinkers like yourself who are pushing the bar and seeing like, how do we use this time to be able to thrive, right? It's not just about surviving and you've successfully been able to do that on an innovative level. I think other things that I just really like about what you're saying is we talked a, a little bit earlier um, on the call too about empathy and your curiosity makes you unafraid to ask the right questions to be able to understand what those various different customer journeys look like right it's a product marketer i think the the more they can stay connected to the customer and understand what the customer journey looks like where it's not just a conceptual sort of 
buyer persona, persona that's in our head or user persona, but more of like truly being able to relate to them and understand all their touch points and then being able to deliver stories and uh, be able to enhance that customer journey and help those users build a better relationship between the products um, and them. That's, that's really one of the big things we're going after, right? Like we talk about product marketing, as you mentioned, it's like threefold sales marketing. You have that aspect. Um, you have this uh, client services aspect as well. And it's like, well, really the more you drill down into it, it's all about distilling it down into that customer journey. And what are you doing to figure out like extremely creative ways that are driving interests and behaviors for the customers and also revenue as well. And so that's such a great example. One last thing I want to sort of question and comment um, with you on is uh, the perspective of data. I, I, I love being data driven um, and it's super important. And I love that you built all these relationships with uh, data teams across the company to be able to not just get data point at one point in time, but be able to continuously be uh, follow up with them and build on that story, right? What is the data telling you? How is that going to be able to inform the product marketing narrative? What do you um, do? What would you say for leaders um, or product marketers that maybe are in other situations, like maybe startups early on, where they may not have the luxury of a lot of data in front of them or data scientists to be able to help them crunch the number numbers? How do they then inform their story and try to make it just as effective? with like extremely maybe high level to like very little uh, data whatsoever. That's one of the big challenges I'm always um, trying to tackle on my side, uh, trying to help people decipher that as well. Um, that's a great question. Um, being a data-driven marketer, you know, you do um, certainly need to have, um, you do certainly need to have, well, let me think. So you need to come at it from a few different angles, right? If you're a product marketer at a small startup, say, think about what the tools you already have at your disposal. Is, are your salespeople using Salesforce, for instance? Is there some way you can get access to Salesforce and be able to crunch some data out of the CRM to sort of figure out personas and customers of your own, right? I think it's important to have that curiosity um, about and ask, and ask your product folks, like what, you know, what, and it depends on your product, right? Like what kind of data do you have at your disposal? Is there a way that I can package it up and use it for some go-to-market activity? Ask your salespeople, what kind of data do you think you need to really get a full view of your customer or, or that will help you tell the story of this product better? Uh, I, think it's, I think if you ask the questions to sort of get an understanding of what you could have access to, um, I think it's just about using the tools at, at your disposal, right? Not all of us have all of the resources. Um, I, you know, I remember at one of my old companies, we didn't have, you know, our, our salespeople were using a CRM, but we didn't have a marketing automation tool. And we were a pretty small group and I was able to go up to an executive and prove like, hey, if I can, if I can sort of get some budget for a marketing automation tool, I can connect it really easily via API to our, our Salesforce platform and I can at least pull reporting around what marketing is working and what's not. And so I can, I can help impact the sales organization and be able to prove some very simple, very high level numbers. Is that worth the investment, right? And it was, and I was able to get access to that marketing automation tool and we did connect it to Salesforce. And after a year of using the tool and training the salespeople how to use the sort of API calls into Salesforce, we were able to prove 40% impact on sales. And, and we saw about 60% sales growth that year. 
And we were able to attribute a lot of it to what we were doing in marketing. And it got us more budget. So it was a huge success. We were a small team with not a lot of money. Um, so, you know, again, it's thinking creatively. And that helped us be data-driven marketers in a different way. And data-driven, which would which was also helping you become ROI-driven. I love that. That's a, a really good success story for maybe a lot of companies that are at the starting out at the beginning instead of sort of like throwing up their hands and giving up. It's what can we do with what we have and how do we expand on it? And I think you, you mentioned something really important, which is having that 40% um, positive impact on uh, budget and then uh, on sales and then being able to get more budget. That should, that ideally should be one of sort of like the goals, if not directly, then indirectly as well for, you know, the KPIs with product marketing is like, how are we showing that we're having positive impact on sales and uh, revenue um, in a way that can also sort of help us with our causes to, to further make more effective go-to-market strategies. And so that's a really great example. Thank you for sharing that. No, of course. And I understand actually sometimes, I will say that if you're in a smaller company, sometimes it's easier um, to be able to create the work streams that are gonna help you measure sort of marketing against ROI. It actually can become more challenging in a large organization if you don't already have the tools in place, because then it's really about finding the right internal executives and stakeholders that will listen to why it's important, if it's not already being done. So sometimes being at a startup and being agile and having a close contacts to sort of a lot of the stakeholders quite quickly, it does, does give you some benefits. So some sales, you know, people that work at startups will complain about resources, but, but on occasion, it does benefit you to have a smaller team because you can, you can make quick decisions that will, imp that will have a bigger impact, right? Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's like, you know, just like product development as is agile, marketing is agile as well. You just, uh, you know, I think a lot of the things you mentioned, if you if product marketers can go in with those perspectives and just try to take even the few tools that they have and try to expand on that is a great benefit. Being able to do less with more and be able to expand from there is much better than maybe already having like a bunch of things in place. And then it's like your time is like so much uh, more divided uh, as a result of trying to get through to doing one thing. You're using, trying to get through like maybe 10, 12 tools or you have like multiple projects and you can't make the impact and drive the impact, you know, at the level you could do if you bring a little bit more focus with, with the less is more sort of perspective. Sure. I want to ask you one last thing because I, I love that, I love your hyper prioritization and like, uh, the ability for you to just hyper-organize in real time. How do you, you know, what would you say to uh, the leaders listening, um, whether they are taking on a product marketing function or if they're, they're trying to figure out how to build that out for their team? How would you sort of uh, give them advice on like a product marketing roadmap? Because in, in many ways, Jenny, you are like a walking, talking product marketing roadmap, right? You're, you're able to do it well, you do it in real time. You're a one woman show. Um, how, do, how can people sort of take some of your gifts and then try attempt <laughs> to sort of like start expanding that out on their own, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important um, for product marketing leaders. So something I always like, I always tell you know other leaders is have a full bit of visibility even if it's just an eyeball glance into not to be a micromanager, right? Let your team members, especially if your team members are more mature and more sort of like middle of their career, if you're a sort of more experienced leader, 
do an eyeball check once a week into the into the like drilled down tasks that your team is working on. So I used to ask my teams in the past to just keep a spreadsheet, a simple sort of Google spreadsheet or you know just a living document spreadsheet and a SharePoint, whatever sort of the tool is at your disposal, and just sort of for your own personal self, track all the little stuff that you're doing. Just go in there, click it out, take the five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. It's to sort of click out what you're working on that day. It doesn't have to be clean and give your boss access to that. And as, as a leader, you know, take the time to respect what your team is working on and the effort that they're putting in to make themselves look good and make you look good and make the company look good. Um, and eyeball what their tasks are, you know, celebrate them when they're doing a good job, have an understanding of what their workload is. I think that will a help optimize if, if people are getting overwhelmed or there's too much on their plate and optimize if maybe there's not enough on someone's plate or maybe their priority or their focus is in the wrong direction, um, which happens, right? It's, it, we all get busy. Sometimes we don't put enough, you know, we don't put enough guidance into our team members, which is unfortunate, but it happens. Like we all get pulled in a lot of different directions. So it's, it's taking that time to at least organize like a task list and then take task list and then take the time to to respect that task list and, and optimize accordingly. And, and that's the ability to be able to focus and um, say no to like extraneous like uh, uh, projects as well, right? Because if you know, if you're hyper prioritizing, like the, all the examples you're giving, it's like there might be top two projects that you really need to have on the top of your radar and versus the endless, you know, 30 that are on. And, and so it's like prioritizing that and making sure you're driving impact that way. One more thing I sort of want to ask you because you make it look really easy, but we both know that product marketing is, uh, there's a full <laughs> workload every day. You're jumping in and out of meetings, um, if not having meetings all day and then possibly multitasking during those yeah. meetings and pinging, pings and all of that. I'm very familiar with that. Uh, you don't get a down moment, right? It's Slack messages, emails, working on a deck, paying attention to the current meeting you're in and uh, trying to engage that way. It's, there's a reality um, that is not spoken about. Um, but sure. I, I, I love you know, that you're still able to find success in that. How do you sort of, how do you, how do you kind of make a sustainable day for yourself, right? Where I've worked at some other places too, including PayPal and Facebook. And those days uh, can very easily be like 12, 14, 16 hour days. Okay. Uh, companies like that are, are great in the sense that they're giving you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They're serving that to you. So, you, you know, that gets taken away. So a place like Facebook, like they'll give you a laundry budget where it's like, you don't even have to worry about that because it's like, it's an unspoken thing that your, your day is going to be extremely full. We're trying to make a few things easy for you, but like, yeah, we need you to be on your A game, even in a rigorous, like long day. So how do you keep yourself productive? How do you try to keep yourself sane? And how do you try not to let the day run on and still be able to get some sort of sleep and downtime and have a life outside of work too? I'm very curious about your perspective on that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to say it's, it's, it takes a little bit of courage. Uh, I had a boss when I was at the Times Square Alliance. This was a nonprofit um, a number of years ago that I worked for that it was one of my favorite jobs. And I had a wonderful boss um, who was very, very, very committed to being a good leader. Um, she was our VP of communications, but, but she spent most of her time worrying about how to be a better leader. 
And it meant a lot for her to have all of her employees succeed. And she gave us and was constantly like asking us to read more if we wanted to, like she really cared about our growth. And that happens very rarely, unfortunately, in, in a leader. And I learned a ton from her. And, and she's still a good friend of mine today, to be honest. She's actually a life coach now and she's absolutely crushing it. Surprise to no one. Um, and she taught me that you have to be courageous enough to communicate with your leadership and communicate with yourself to avoid burnout um, and, take, and take your personal time. You deserve your vacations. You deserve to put your phone down. If you have, if you have a 14 hour day every now and again, fine, that's okay. That's the world we live in, but it can't be three times a week. And it certainly can't be every single week, you know? And when those days do come, you have to be courageous enough to say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a person. Um, I value my time with my family. I value my time with myself. I value my personal time. And if it's a conversation you need to have with your boss, it can go something like, I need to, like, I'm going to be a better employee if I'm not burnt out. I'm going to be a better employee if I'm taking time to take care of myself and making that the priority. I'm going to be more energetic. I'm going to be more productive and I'm going to be more efficient. And there's plenty of data that, that can support that, that, uh, that argument. So, so I don't think there's a good boss out there in the world that would get too pissed at that. But if, if a boss does try to push back on you in that, well, then that's another problem. <laughs> I, but I it, is, it is about being, yeah, it's about being, you know, courageous enough to take your time to protect yourself. And, and harder, right? Not harder. Um, totally. You, you remind me of one of my good friends um, who I also met at my time at Ignition One slash uh, net mining. And he always reminded me of, you know, we're never going to look back on life, Sana, and say, oh, I wish I worked more. Um, I, you know, I wish I did that more. It's like, we all want to figure out uh, how to be our best and how to give our best. And that doesn't necessarily mean, uh, hitting the grind, you know, every day in and out. So we have to, to be our best. We have to constantly keep challenging ourselves. Like, are we working smarter? Like, are there things we can say no to for meetings or, you know, taking on more than like one or two, you know, uh, major projects at a time things like that. And I, 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 you have such a great handle on it. I, I love that. It's just so refreshing for me to be able to hear that and be able to share that with the rest of the audience, because despite product marketing being challenging, it's also a very beautiful and rewarding role to have. If you are someone who likes to be versatile and take on various different um, challenges, think out of the box, work with a lot of different people, and you could do it in a way where you're happy and you're healthy and you're not hitting that, you know, burnout grind mode. So thank you for sharing that. That's so powerful. And I hope uh, people can take some inspiration away from that too. Yeah, no, thanks, Sana. And, and yeah, no, being a, you, you have to be a special breed to be a product marketer because you're definitely an overachiever. You're definitely somebody that has a desire to be cross-functional. And anybody that has a desire to be cross-functional is somebody that's probably going to have a tendency to work them, to overwork themselves and want to be perfect. But there's no such thing as perfect. In fact, good enough is better than perfect because good enough will allow you to succeed and be effective. So I think, and good enough sounds like a dirty word, I think, to a lot of product marketers. But I think we just have to understand that good enough is actually perfect because yeah. there is no perfect. You know? Good enough is agile, right? This is the whole agile product methodology, right? Whether which, whichever side you're on, especially on the product marketing side, and the work is never going to be done. It's constantly being iterated on. And that's just the nature of things, especially when you're in working in technology. So it's like adapting that mindset where 
we're not um, robots. We're not androids that are supposed to be sitting there working all day and night because we just have to keep up with the task list constantly. 24 hours a day, it's more of like, well, what's our, you know, point A to point B for this, you know, week? And how do we, how do we get there using design thinking, trying to be as smart as possible uh, to do that and without costing, you know, like all hours of the day for us to do that. So thank you so much for sharing this. I just wanted to ask you if you have any closing thoughts you want to share with anybody. And uh, if anyone wants to follow your work or any of your social handles, how can we do that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, no closing thoughts. I think we had a great conversation. Thank you for the time and the platform. Um, super fun. I really enjoyed this. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at Jennifer Gomez. Um, I believe it's backslash Jennifer Gomez marketer. So pretty easy. Got a little custom URL there. <laughs> and uh, I am on Twitter uh, at social Jago. So social, like the word social media, and then Jago, Jennifer Gomez, like JLo. So social Jago is my Twitter handle, and, and that's the business Twitter handle. So uh, easy to find in both spots. Fantastic. And I'll make sure I, I share that in the link as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm walking away with so much more energy uh, <laughs> after talking to you, and I'm looking forward uh, to following your work and staying connected. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much.